Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. With me today to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John. And turn to the 14th chapter. I want to talk to you today about the Holy Spirit and let me preface what I'm going to teach on today by saying this, it is virtually impossible to overemphasize the, the person of the Holy Spirit and the role the Holy Spirit is to play in the believer's life today. I mean, it's, it's virtually impossible, like I said, to overemphasize it, to say it too much, or, or to dwell on it too much. We're living in, everyone knows we're living in the age of the church. We're living in the church age. Well, the Old Testament, you can look at it this way. The Old Testament was the dispensation of the Father. God... Uh, uh, Elohim, God Almighty, was revealed in the Old Testament. In the Gospels, we have the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was only here for a short period of time. And then he left. There will be a second advent of Christ. He is coming back. But the Gospels represented the dispensation of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church age represents the dispensation of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's advent was on the day of Pentecost is when he was inaugurated into the earth to take up his, his active role in the lives of believers. And so today in the church age, it is also the age of the Spirit. It is the advent of the Spirit, the time of the Spirit, the dispensation of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is central to our ability to uh, serve God, to represent the Lord Jesus Christ, to learn of Him. All that we need to do and be as Christians, really none of it can be accomplished without the Holy Spirit. Now, to, to illustrate how important this is, if, you're, if you've turned to the 14th chapter of John, if you'll turn back to the 13th chapter, in the 13th chapter of John, uh, it talks about the Lord washing the disciples' feet. And it talks about after supper. So it's talking about the last supper of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this occurred the night Jesus was betrayed. Remember Judas uh, went out and led the temple guards to the Lord Jesus and his disciples. They were in a, a, a park, a garden, and, the, and this was in the 18th chapter of John. And, and the guards came and arrested the Lord Jesus and took him into custody. And that weekend he was uh, crucified on the cross and, and raised from the dead. This was the night before he was arrested or the night he was arrested earlier in the evening. And it said in chapter 13, verse 1, uh, before the feast of the pastor when, Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should part from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, arose from supper, laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And this is, we won't read all of it, but this is the story of how Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And he was teaching them that we must serve one another that we must humble ourselves and present ourselves as a servant to one another. Washing someone's feet, by the way, in uh, Middle, Middle Eastern cultures is still practiced today and it's a sign of reverence and a sign of, of hospitality and a sign of humility and honoring someone. They still practice it today in the Middle East. And... Uh, so Jesus used this custom to illustrate that we are to serve one another. You know, you have to humble yourself to wash somebody's feet. Amen. And that's what he was teaching. Now, in this 13th chapter, in the 13th, 14th, and 15th, and 16th chapter, we have the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ after he had realized that his time had come to be offered up. He realized that the time had come for him to be betrayed into the hands of the, of the uh, of Jews and then into the Romans' hands. He knew that his ministry on this earth was over. As far as his teaching and his training of the disciples, all that he had put into them, this was it. So this was the last night before Jesus uh, went to the cross and was raised from the dead. And th- he taught a lot of things in the 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th chapter of John. But one theme he continued to weave in and out of all of his teaching was about the Holy Spirit. He talked about the Holy Spirit over and over again. He didn't just talk about the Holy Spirit once. He, he, he said something important about the Holy Spirit, then he would talk about something else, and then he would come back and talk about the Holy Spirit again, and then he would talk about something else, and then he would come back and talk about the Holy Spirit again, and then he would talk about something else, and he'd come back and talk about the Holy Spirit again. That tells me that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is very, very important. And the fact that all of this happened the night he was betrayed, at the very end of his earthly ministry, in preparation so that the church, his disciples and the church that would be, would be prepared for the last days. Let's look at the 14th chapter and let's look at verse number 15. Chapter 14, verse number 15. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray to the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now the older King James Version says that I will send to you or I will give you another. I'll pray to the Father and he will give you another comforter. And that's the traditional reading because the older King James has been, you know, read for so many uh, centuries now. But really, the word comforter is not the best translation. It's one of the inferences of the word that's translated comforter. But the word um, uh, uh, paraclete in the Greek, its best definition is what is brought, brought out in the New King James. And it's best identified by the word helper. 
He said, I'm, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send you another helper. And he said, this helper will abide with you forever, and he is the spirit of truth. Now, uh, to just make a, a, a small comment here, and I think it, it would be uh, important, when he said, I'm going to send you another helper, the Greek word that's translated another, this word is translated, uh, there, there are two different, let me say it this way, there are two different Greek words which are translated another in the New Testament. One word means another of a different kind. Another of a different kind. This word means another of the same kind. So he said, I'm going to ask the Father, I'm going to pray to the Father, and he's going to give you another helper of the same kind. Well, it's the same kind of of what? Of the same kind of who? He's talking about just like himself. If If you read the Gospels, you'll see that everywhere the disciples went, once they began to follow the Lord, they came to depend entirely upon him. They depended upon him for answers to questions, for wisdom, for direction, for help in in, uh, peril. I mean, whatever the need was, they went to the Lord Jesus because they knew he had the answer. Well, Jesus didn't have the answer all the time because he was the son of God. Now, this is a distinction most Christians do not understand, but it's very important. Jesus is God the Son, he is deity. The Bible says that that he's co-equal with the Father. There are three persons uh, in what we call the Godhead and that is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, they're all three God. They're not three different gods. Our God is manifested in three personalities. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus always existed from before eternity as long as God the Father has existed, which is forever. You say, well, I can't put my, I can't quite, you know, wrap my mind around how something can, can, could have existed forever, forever. Well, I can't either, but the Bible says it's true. It's the concept of eternity. It is beyond our natural comprehension. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have always existed. If you go back as far as you can go, they were before that. So Jesus is the eternal son of God. He always has been, he always will be. But when Jesus came to the earth and took on human form, when he took on the, 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 our human nature and was made as a man, the New Testament says that he laid aside, the Greek says that he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. Well, what does it mean he emptied himself? Well, he he couldn't have emptied himself of his deity because that's who he was. But what he did is he emptied himself of of the divine attributes or the, the, uh, uh, the privileges, you could say, that go along with deity. In other words, when he became a man, he became a man in every sense of humanity. He humbled himself and took on the nature of man, took on still being God, being sinless, of course, but in his human nature, he was just like us, except without sin. 
And that means that the miracles he performed, he did not perform by the power that's, that was inherent in him as the son of God. He performed miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who empowered him. Just like it is the Holy Spirit who empowers believers today. When Jesus had the answer to every question, and he always did, he didn't have that answer because the answer resided in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had the, because, because as a man, he didn't have all the answers. But he had the greater one in him, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit had all the answers. So when the disciples came to Jesus and he always had the answer, he could always help, he could always deliver, he could always make things right, it was because of the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. The person of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit working in him. Well, when Jesus said, I'm gonna pray the Father and he's gonna send you another helper, he was referring to the Holy Spirit being another helper just like him. Because you see, the Holy Spirit dwelt in Jesus, but he didn't dwell in the disciples. Notice what he says. I will pray the Father, he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Well, how did they know him? They didn't know they knew him. Until he said, you, you know him, they didn't know they knew him. They did not have a personal knowledge of and a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was not in them. But they knew the Holy, they were familiar with the Holy Spirit because he was in Jesus. And they were the beneficiaries of all that wisdom and all that help, all of those answers, all of that power. They saw it working and that's what he was referring to when he said, for you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. See, he dwelt, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the spirit of truth, dwelt with them in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he said the time is coming when the Holy Spirit will dwell in you. He will live in you. Amen. That had to have been quite a shock. Have you ever been in a situation where you're in a conversation with somebody and they're talking and they say something that so completely you know, blows your mind that you, you, you don't hear anything else they say. They just keep on talking and you're just stuck on one thing. I, I would imagine that the disciples uh, uh, might have had that kind of a situation this particular night. When he said, I'm gonna ask the Father and he's gonna send you another helper just like me, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, and you know him because he's with you, but he's gonna be in you. Wow. That, that, that had to have uh, made a huge impression on their mind. Let's look at some of the other things that he said. This was in the 15th through the 18th verse. Turn over to the 25th verse. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So here we have more information 
about the role of the Holy Spirit and the place that he would have in the believer's life after Jesus left. He said, he will teach you all things. Well, that's, that's pretty good news. That tells me that whatever I need, if I don't know it, I can go to the Holy Spirit because he knows all things and Jesus said he will teach you all things and, and he will bring all things to your remembrance that I've said to you. Let's continue reading. Let's go on down into the, into the 15th chapter. Look at the 15th chapter, verse number 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Remember I said that he, he kept returning to this theme of the Holy Spirit. So we see that he's done this three times. Let's go down in, into the 16th chapter and let's look at verse number seven. He returns to this theme again. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now that was a, a pretty strong statement. It's to your advantage that I go away. Now, you know, if you look at that from one perspective, that would be hard to believe. How could it be to the advantage of the disciples that Jesus go away? He was everything to them. He could do it all. He knew it all. He had it all. He was the man. They had come to totally depend upon him because he never let them down. He said, it's important for you that I go away. And here he said, why? He said, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. That's saying that the Holy Spirit is more important in our life today than Jesus would be if he was here in this auditorium today in the flesh. If Jesus could suddenly appear in human form again and take up his residence among men again, we would have less benefit than we have from the Holy Spirit. Did he not say that? Let's look at it again. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. He's saying that the Holy Spirit has greater potential in our lives than if Jesus was here in the flesh. One reason is if he's here in the flesh, he's not somewhere else in the flesh. If he's, if he's visiting our church this morning in the flesh, he couldn't be over in, 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 in another church. He would be here. They'd probably lose a few members that morning. But then the next Sunday, he'd be somewhere else and then we'd lose all our members. No, the point is, he was, he, he, he was the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was in one body. And he's in one body today at the right hand of the Father. And so wherever he was, is where he was and he couldn't be at two places at once, not in his physical body. And so he could be of, of limited help, but we have the Holy Spirit 
All of us do have the Holy Spirit. If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit in you all the time. What an advantage. He says it's to your advantage. And then verse number eight, he says, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you. Now think about that. Here Jesus had ministered to his disciples for three and a half years. From the day he first entered into his ministry and he began to call the disciples out of their various lives and employment and things, you know, fishermen, different things. He said, come follow me. From that day, from the beginning of his ministry, it had been three and a half years. And uh, he said, I've not been able to communicate to you everything I need to say and communicate. He said, there's, a, well, that make, that you, you can easily understand that. Jesus, the son of God, operating as a man, full of the Holy Spirit, you know, there's only so much you can communicate. There's only much, so much you can share in three and a half years, even if you're Jesus. <laughs> Think about how much he knew by the Holy Spirit. Think about all the potential that was in him by the Holy Spirit. He said, I I have still a lot to tell you, a lot to teach you. Well, where did all of that wealth come from? It came from the Spirit. But he said, I've not been able to tell you everything I would like to tell you. And he told them why. He said, because you cannot bear them now. See, Natural men, and the disciples were still natural men. At this point, Jesus had not gone to the cross. He had not been raised from the dead. And so no one was saved in the the sense that we are today. No one was born again because the, the eternal sacrifice for sin had not been paid. And offered and the debt had not been paid and Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead. So the disciples, even though they had spent three and a half years in close company with the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, no one will deny that's an envious position to be in. I mean, who wouldn't want to be able? I mean, can you imagine having spent three and a half years with the disciples? But he said, there's a lot, I mean, with the Lord, he said, there's a lot I need to tell you and I haven't been able to because you're not ready. But what will make them ready? Verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. Listen, you're not gonna get the full revelation of everything you need to know today. You're not gonna comprehend all truth today or tomorrow or next week. He said he will guide you. He will guide, aren't you glad he's still guiding us? Now, he's not guiding us contrary to the New Testament. He's not guiding us in addition to or beyond the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is guiding us in line with everything that has been spoken and written by the Lord and those who knew him, the apostles and so forth, what we call the New Testament. This is 
this is God's word, God breathed to us. But the Holy Spirit takes it and he guides us into the understanding of it. So when I'm talking about the Holy Spirit guiding us, you know, into further truth, I'm not talking about truth beyond this. The Holy Spirit will never teach you or say anything to you or give direction to you that's not in complete conformity with this because he's the author of this. The Bible says holy men of old spake or wrote as they were moved on by who? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who authored the word. Well, he's not gonna guide us contrary to it. But he said, notice, let's go back. He said, it's important, it's to your advantage. You will be better off, he said, if I leave so that the Holy Spirit can come. And when he comes... He says, he says, I have many things that I can't say to you now because you can't bear them. But when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. I'm so glad we don't have to live in the dark about what's ahead. So, well, I don't know everything that's ahead. Well, it's because you don't need to know. But when you need to know, the Holy Spirit, he said, will tell you things to come. Whatever we need to know, we have the source of that information on the inside of us. The old song, I can face tomorrow because he lives. I can face tomorrow. I can face whatever comes. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world. I know I can face tomorrow because he lives, but also because of the one who lives in me. He will tell me things to come. Amen. He will glorify me, verse 14, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said he will take of mine and declare it to you. Everything that the Father has, all of the resources, all of the resources of heaven, all of the wisdom of heaven, all of the power of heaven, all of everything that is at God's disposal, which would be everything we need. He said, Jesus said, that's been given to me and the Holy Spirit will take of mine what is mine and share it with you. That tells me that the Holy Spirit, can you see now why the Holy Spirit is so important? Why Jesus said, it's better for you that I leave so that the Holy Spirit can come because now we have on the inside of us the person and the source of everything that God has. It's it's resident on the inside of us. That's why I said it's impossible for a preacher today to overemphasize the importance of the Holy Spirit. We've not touched the, scratched the surface barely of how important the Holy Spirit is to us. Now, Pentecostal people are often criticized by other groups because they say we talk about the Holy Spirit too much, that we put too great an emphasis upon him. Well, it, that, that, like I said, that really is hard to imagine how you could do that. When people don't emphasize the Holy Spirit, they cannot partake of everything he has. 
If you de-emphasize, if you don't give the Holy Spirit the right place in your life, there's no way that you can benefit then from all that he has for you. Amen. I tell you, the Holy Spirit is hugely important. Uh, outside of our salvation itself. Now, now listen, we don't worship the Holy Spirit and we don't pray to the Holy Spirit. There's nowhere does the Bible teach that the Holy Spirit receives worship from people because the Holy Spirit's role is to reveal the Father and reveal the Son. That's his role. Everything he says, he says, he says, Jesus said he will take what is mine and show it to you. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. So we don't worship him even though he's God. We don't worship him and we don't pray to him. Jesus said we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. He said, pray, yeah, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So we pray to the Father. We don't even pray to Jesus. Now, now it's right to worship Jesus. We see that all through the, the epistles and the book of Revelation. We see worship of the Father and of the Son. So we worship the Lord Jesus. So in the sense that worship is a type of prayer, then that kind of prayer, yes, we worship him. But as far as going to Jesus and asking for, you know, taking our prayer needs to Jesus, we don't do that. Well, amen. Did you know most of the church world doesn't know that? Most Christians pray to Jesus all the time. Oh, Jesus, help me do this. Jesus, you know, show me this. Jesus, you know, answer my, whatever, you know. Jesus said, in that day, you will ask me nothing, but whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. He said, the Father loves you, and I don't have to go to the Father and ask him on your benefit. He said, he loves you himself. You have your own relationship with the Father. Go to the Father in my name. Amen. The Christian is to pray to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean to pray in his name? It means to pray by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, praise God. Amen. Now, having let's go a little bit further. We've looked at the 16th chapter of John. Let's look at a few more verses. Go back to the book of Luke. Let's go back to Luke's gospel. Everything we've read up until now, this morning, all of these words were the last part, they were part of the last words that Jesus had or that he said before he went to the cross. It was his last instructions to the disciples before he was arrested and before he went to the cross. But how many of you know that he, uh, he was raised from the dead? And, and after he was raised from the dead, he had some more things to say. Amen? Now, having been raised from the dead, it was able to say some things and reveal some things that he had not been able to reveal before. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had come. Amen? Now, if you go to the 24th chapter, these are some words that Jesus, Jesus was with his disciples for 40 days. After he was raised from the dead, until he ascended into heaven, was a period of 40 days. During that time, he spoke to them about things concerning the kingdom of God and, and the things of the church. And in the, 40, in the 24th chapter of Luke, we have recorded here something else that he said about the Holy Spirit. 
Look in verse number 49. These words were actually uttered just before Jesus ascended into heaven. So again, before we were looking at his last words before the cross, now we're looking at his last words before he ascended into heaven. Forty days had passed. This was the last day. After he got through saying these words, he ascended into heaven. So this was some of his last instructions for the church while he was on the earth. I think we ought to listen. Amen. I think that would make that really important. Verse 49, he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He said, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. That word endued, endued means to be clothed upon. Until you are clothed upon with power from on high. Now, what in the world was he talking about? What was he talking about? Tarrying in the city of Jerusalem until they were endued with power. Notice he called it the promise of the Father. Well, if you know the Bible, you know that Luke obviously wrote the gospel of Luke, but Luke also wrote the book of Acts. Same author. Turn over with me to the book of Acts and look at chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Let's start in verse 1. The former account I made, that's referring to the, Luke, the gospel of Luke. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. That's what we were just reading about in Luke. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with, the, with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He said not many days from now you're going to have another experience with the Holy Spirit that you haven't had. He said now he had already told them if you go back and look at Matthew and Mark's gospel, he had already told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He had already said that. But then just before he leaves, the, the, very, the very hour that he ascended into heaven, he said, there's one thing I need to tell you. Do not, under any circumstance, leave Jerusalem until you receive this power. He said, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, we know from the book of Acts that it was 10 days later that it happened on the day of Pentecost. And uh, therefore, they, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice he said, you'll receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses. Well, that's, uh, that's very important instructions. We, we talk around here a lot at our church about the importance of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And the reason we do is because the baptism with the Holy Spirit is the crowning work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had already said some things about the Holy Spirit, what he would do, that he would be our teacher, that he would be our guide, that he would be our helper, that he would uh, have the answers for us and how valuable it would be uh, for us to have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. But then the last thing he said is, don't go anywhere until you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we know what that means. He said, you, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 2, says that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, this was 10 days later, they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Jesus said that this event was the thing they should wait for. That they were not to engage, they were not to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. They weren't to go to Samaria or Judea or, or to the ends of the earth until this event had taken place until they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he said, you'll receive power that day. I tell you, church, it is so vital to the individual Christian that they have this experience of being filled with the Spirit. Now, we know that when a person is born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of that person. So the Holy Spirit, he said, he is, remember, remember what we read? He dwells with you, but he will be in you. When a Christian, when a person is born again and becomes a Christian, becomes a child of God, the Holy Spirit immediately takes up residence on the inside of that person. So in one sense, every Christian has the Holy Spirit as the teacher, as the guide, as the helper, resident on the inside. But that is not enough. Jesus said you need to hang around here a little bit longer until you receive the Holy Spirit baptism, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in the full measure. And he said then you will be filled with the Spirit. I tell you, church, it is so important today it's important today. It's always been important. But when you look at the world in which we're living today, it is absolutely vital that we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is impossible to be all you should be without the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to have all you should have and be able to operate in all that you should operate in and be the kind of Christians you ought to be without being baptized with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit. This New Testament experience has not expired. Now what modern tradition tells us, the tradition of the last few hundred years, it tells us that 
that when someone is saved, they receive all of the Holy Spirit there is to receive. They say, well, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Well, that's true. But then they say that's all there is to it. There isn't a second experience with the Spirit. There's only one, and that happens when you're born again. He comes to live within, and that's it. But that's, that's not what Jesus said. He said, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Go with me over to, uh, go over with me to the 19th chapter of Acts. Acts chapter 19. Hallelujah. Chapter 19 says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So we don't know who you're talking about. He said to them, into what, into what then were you baptized? So they said to him, into John's baptism. Then, then Paul said, John indeed baptized with, with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is, on Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Here were, it goes on to tell, tell us that there were 12 men in this company. There were 12 disciples here who knew the Lord. They were born again, but they had never received the Holy Spirit. So when we say receiving the Holy Spirit in this sense, we're talking about the baptism of the Spirit. Because if they were saved, they had the Holy Spirit in them, but they hadn't been instructed. And so they didn't know that there was a baptism with the Holy Spirit. When, when, when the apostle laid his hands on them, it said the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Listen, this New Testament experience is absolutely critical for us today. It is God's plan for the church. Let's all stand. It is God's plan for the church age. Uh, his plan has not changed. Amen. God wants all Christians to be filled with the Spirit. If you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, if if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, and you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, you are missing such a vital, not just an experience, but an ingredient in your life that is as revolutionary as the new birth is. Think about how great a change came into your life when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Think about what a change. It changed everything about your life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit will change you that much again. I said the baptism of the Holy Spirit will change you that much again. It takes you to another level in understanding and cooperating with the Holy Spirit. If you want to be able to cooperate with the Spirit's teaching, the Spirit's moving, His direction, it helps you so much to be filled with the Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. I tell you what, I want a church 
where everybody in the church is filled with the Holy Spirit and speaks with other tongues. And, it, and it's not because it's some kind of, of, uh, of uh, status. It's because if you don't have this experience, you're missing so much in your life. There's so much that God will do among us and in us as a congregation that you will not be able to relate to if you don't have this experience because it comes as a result of being filled with the Spirit. He said you'll receive power in your life. How many of you would would be honest and say, when I look around at this world and my place in this world, I'm conscious that I need power. How many of you know Christians without any power? Now listen, good people, they love God and you're convinced, though you're not their judge, but you're convinced they're saved, they're going to heaven. But they're powerless in life. They're defeated, they're downcast, they don't have influence. That's not normal Christianity. Normal Bible Christianity is vibrant power Packed lives. Uh, lives, individuals that have been impacted with the Holy Spirit to such a degree that everywhere they go, there's something about them that just sort of spreads out everywhere they go to people that they meet and people they talk to. There's just a power that goes out. That's, that's the normal Christian experience. Hallelujah. Oh, how the, how the, the world needs a church, the, how, the, how this world needs Christians who are filled with the Spirit. This world is in such a mess. And Jesus said, you're never going to be able to reach the world. You're never going to have the impact unless you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. I want everybody to, to bow their heads. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.